Twitter at Turner ESQ. In addition to my day job, I'm a contributor to Sounder at Heart, where I cover the Seattle Sounders. I'm also a contributor at The Athletic, where I write about the business and law of soccer. And I run my own website, SoccerESQ.com, where I write about just about everything. The Save the Crew movement captured the imagination of soccer fans across the country. In Columbus, after Anthony Precourt announced he was attempting to move the team to Austin, the Columbus fan base rose up and, along with some passionate city officials, worked to keep the team there and are on the cusp of securing a massive new stadium and training complex that will keep the team there for decades to come. It turned out to be a win-win for both cities, as Precourt and MLS managed to negotiate a deal with Austin to build a stadium which will house a MLS team there starting in 2021. So both cities have teams and will have new stadiums to play in, and it seems like the saga has come to an end. But everyone loves a good epilogue, so I called up two reporters who have been following the story. Chris Bills writes for the Austin Statesman and covers Austin FC, while Jacob Myers covers the crew for the Columbus Dispatch. We had a great conversation talking about how we got here and where things go, and Chris even drops an interesting tidbit about an upcoming interview he has, so be sure to listen. Hope you enjoy the interview. All right, joining me now, I've got a couple of great guests. Uh, Chris Bills from the Austin American Statesman down in Austin covering uh, Austin FC. And Jacob Myers with the Columbus Dispatch who covers the Columbus crew. Uh, thanks, guys, for uh, joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mickey. Yeah, so I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, you've been down at the statement, Statesman for a little while, so uh, just tell a little, little bit about yourself to everyone out there. Yeah, so uh, I'm a freelance soccer reporter out of Austin, Texas. Uh, kind of been doing different freelance assignments for the Statesman for going on three years now, I guess. Uh, and uh, then all of a sudden, the uh, Columbus crew wanted to join me for, uh, down here. I, I'm from Ohio originally, so oh. <laughs> uh, just kind of just kind of worked out, and I, I've been that's what I've been kind of been my main beat for the last uh, gosh going on going on two years now since October 2017 uh so which is crazy by uh, the way yeah it is it doesn't feel sometimes it feels like it was yesterday sometimes it feels like it's been uh you know I added like seven years to my life so who knows yeah and uh Jacob uh tell everyone a little bit about yourselves uh you took over for uh who'd you take over for uh at the sta- at the dispatch yes Andrew Erickson yeah Andrew for, yes of course he did it for uh, I want to say two years um I was at Ohio State. I met him there because he was doing women's basketball coverage as well. Um, I just got hired late January, so kind of just flew in after all of this stuff kind of went down. Uh, was definitely following it from afar. Um, didn't follow soccer a ton beforehand, but really catching on uh, here in my first season. And, you know, one of the first things I tried to do is just kind of learn all the backstories of Save the Crew, whatnot, meet the people I had to meet. and. Um, it, it's just really interesting, and I kind of came on, on on ground zero with everyone else, so I feel like I've been able to find my footing and whatnot. And it's, it's definitely been a journey, and it, it will be up to 2021 when the stadium opens, too. Yeah, and it's just it's, it's so funny that the uh, yeah, both of these uh, both of these cities are kind of on concurrent tracks in different ways. Both stadiums uh, planning to open in 2021, uh, and so you know the crew will be in you know kind of a I wouldn't say a rebirth. Uh, maybe a reboot's a better word for it. 
Um, and you guys are just kind of biding your time until the stadium opens. Yeah, I, I think you could almost say it's a rebirth, certainly. Um, I, I mean, it's completely new ownership that's willing to spend some money now. And, and, you know, as the league grows, there's going to be more money in it. Uh, so I think they're in a good spot. And then you have a president with Tim Bezpacheco, who certainly did that at Toronto. So I, I think all the things are going in the right direction for the crew. And they, they have people there that, that know how to get it done. And it seems to be a lot of excitement still in the fan base, even if the team's not doing as well as they want to early here. Yeah, and uh, Chris, obviously down there, you guys uh, were on a, on a different track, but again, kind of similar in that the stadium uh, had a lot of you know trials and tribulations at the start, but right now uh, things seem to be going pretty smoothly. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, since uh, I guess the stadium vote was you know August of last year, um, and there's been some rumblings of a potential know election and uh potential lawsuits but uh right now as we sit in uh june of, of 2019 things things seem to be moving forward and uh only positive news on on the austin F austin fc front lately as far as sponsorship season ticket uh deposits which we saw come out uh earlier today on thursday uh well the number came out earlier today on thursday of more than thirty thousand deposits and even uh, even Leslie Poole, as I'm sure you saw, Mickey, seems to be uh, putting on her uh, her scarf and, and hat. Well, maybe not quite yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens in 2021. Yeah, I definitely want to uh, touch on Leslie Poole because uh, I've obviously interviewed her as well. Um, uh, Jacob, I'm not sure if you were there when she was kind of in the middle in the mix of things up there, but she's been kind of an integral figure uh, at first, uh, and, and you know, mostly as uh, an antagonist, and she's. Uh, you know, as as Chris said, mostly gotten on board. I don't think she's all the way there yet, but uh, she's definitely been in a uh, a central figure in this in this entire thing, even from up in Columbus. Certainly read about it, and um, yeah, like I said, it's it's really funny, kind of having an outsider's perspective. And yeah, I, I certainly haven't inter interacted with her at all since I got here, but um, it's just kind of interesting having an outsider's perspective from the Save the Crew to to coming in. And, yeah, it, I mean, Austin, I think there's a little more going on in terms of you know, what's all going on with the city and the development and all that. And all that is kind of settled for the crew and seems to be a little quieter. Um, said there's still the redevelopment project and at the current Moffrey st uh, Stadium site that's still in the works. So, um, I mean, there, there's still some pieces to be moved around. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of uh, circle back, uh, not all the way to the beginning, but at least... Talk a little bit about the the end of each of these sagas, uh, and we'll start with uh, Jacob. You up in uh, Columbus uh, talking a little bit about the end of Save the Crew. Uh, you know, the deal got struck back in I want to say late October um, or maybe early October of 2018, and it was it was. Absolutely fascinating the day that it, they announced that they had potentially uh, new ownership uh, coming in. Obviously, the Haslam Edward group, Edwards group was you know announced later on officially. But uh, take us a little bit back to the day uh, when they they started to the rumbling started about about the team actually having been saved. Yeah, so it was October twelfth when reports started to come out about. Uh, the Haslam's and a local investor, uh, Dr. Pete Edwards' name wasn't totally known before then, and there there were some, you know, 
rumbling. I don't know even if they're rumblings. They did a really good job of kind of keeping it under wraps in terms yeah. of these meetings going on between the crew ownership and um, and the and Precourt Sports Ventures and, and the City of Columbus and all that. A few months, uh, the Frank, Franklin County here in uh, or Columbus is uh, decided to eventually that they denied a request to dismiss a lawsuit as there were still things going on. It wasn't until late December um, when the official papers were signed, whatnot, because what the the league had ownership of the crew at the time, so it was it was just kind of strange in terms of how the Haslam's and, and Dr. Pete Edwards had a almost purchased it from the league and and then they had all these different things, right, with the stadium and a redevelopment of Montfrey Stadium site. And, I mean, certainly that was a part of them needing to purchase the crews to have these plans. And uh, I think they did a really good job with meetings with whether it be state legislature or the Columbus Partnership, which was a group of kind of, you know, wealthy people in Columbus that kept it here. Alex Fisher being a – he's the CEO of – uh, the Columbus Partnership. He was a big part of these meetings and keeping their crew in Columbus. But then they announced, you know, the downtown stadium soccer site and the redevelopment. Um, so it all came together eventually, but I think in October is when, you know, everyone kind of assumed it was you know, 99.9% done. They just needed the ink to dry. Yeah, and Chris, so, you know, a little bit before that, in, in August, obviously the, uh, the stadium, uh, gets uh, the agreement to uh, to put the lease together, get signed. And, you know, there there's some argument as to which needed to come first, uh, the lease um, to save the crew or if they needed to get the business uh, partnership together to to, uh, to get that done. But just, uh, number one, what was kind of the reaction uh, down in Austin when, in October, when they announced that it was likely the team was going to be saved? And just uh, what... Uh, how was it down there leading up to getting the vote uh, passed uh, for the uh, for the lease development agreement to be negotiated? Because that was a massive ordeal uh, in the yeah, months leading I'm, up to that. I'm sure you remember, Mickey, and the dates kind of run together sometimes when yeah. you think back to those city council meetings because we had the one on, I think it was June 26th or the 28th, that went uh, into the morning at, I think, 4, 4 oh, in the Oh, my morning. God, that was uh, horrible. We were sitting, sitting there at City Hall and, uh, you know, but then on that uh, August 9th date, uh, when things finally kind of came to a head, you could sense the tension on the, the city council. They'd spent so much time on this, and they'd spent so much energy trying to get the best deal for the city. And then you had a few members on the council uh, in Leslie Poole, Allison Alter, and or Houston to some extent who were really kind of dragging on the process at the end and, and uh, you know, continuing to push for items that the team had already made clear or pre-court sports ventures had already made clear were, were going to be deal breakers. And uh, you could really sense a frustration. I mean, the, the city council is kind of stretched as it is the way that the city process works in Austin. And uh, they finally kind of got to the end and, and the vote was seven to four, um, you know, in favor of, uh, you know, building the, the stadium. Uh, and from there, I think mostly everyone kind of took a deep breath. And uh, I forget what your the second part of your question. Oh, just was uh, the there, reaction but, to uh, the crew uh, being you know quote unquote saved in in October. 
Yeah, and so I think I started sensing maybe uh, late spring into that whole city council process that there may maybe there there might be some wheels turning in Columbus, but obviously it took a while for those to act to that to actually for that to actually turn into anything. And so yeah, that news dropped, and uh, generally I think people in Austin felt relieved. I know there's a few people that had kind of been pushing for the crew to move and some, you know, back and forths on Twitter that I'm sure that we were all kind of yeah. <laughs> clued into, but uh, generally uh, the reaction that I've heard is like, this is what's best for Austin, this is what's best for, and hopefully Columbus can get things together is what I, you know, from, is what I've heard from a lot of people is that they, they'd like to see Columbus, uh, you know, succeed in the long run, uh, but as far as Austin goes, I think people are realize that it just would have been it would have been a mess trying to play at Mike A. Myers or at DKR uh, the Texas Football Stadium for a year or two years, however long it would have been uh, and so I think it was a sense of um, okay, now we know what's happening, let's all move forward Yeah, yeah, and that's actually interesting um, I'm glad you brought that up is uh, you know one of the, you know, I would say benefits aside from the crew being able to stay was it would have likely been a disaster for Austin to try to play at one of those temporary facilities. Um, you know, I did, you know, I'm sure as you did, tons of digging around trying to figure out if they had something set up um, in the event the crew moved, yeah. or even if they were going to try to bring an expansion team into Austin uh, or, yeah, concurrently with the crew staying. So you'd have, you know, the Austin playing up a couple of years. And it just, based on what I heard from MLS, they just decided at some point that it would have just been... Uh, a disaster to try to play in one of those temporary facilities with an expansion team on, you know, six or 18 months notice, uh, trying to get that team together. And then you're playing, you know, 30 miles outside the stadium or you're paying huge money to university of Texas to, uh, you know, to rent out a stadium where you may not have as much going for you there. So yeah, that's absolutely interesting. And, and, you know, it, it wasn't surprising that they ultimately decided to hold off for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen so far, it's really taken until, I'd say, late spring, early summer for, you know, all of the front office to get down here and to start really, you know, building momentum as far as an organization goes of getting these season ticket memberships going and or the deposits going and, and the first sponsorships and things like that. So building an organization takes, takes time and to try to do that in three or four months was just, it, was, it wasn't going to be feasible. Yeah. And then, Jacob, up there, uh, you know, speaking of timelines, uh, you talked a little bit about the stadium being ready in 2021, 20, uh, um, maybe the midpoint, it sounds like. Uh, so it's probably taking a little longer than people hope, but the process has been pretty smooth, as, as you said, uh, you know, as opposed to in Austin, where you have some political uh, wranglings uh, with Leslie Poole and, and a couple of the other council members and the lawsuits that Chris, uh, Chris alluded to. Uh, there's been none of that up in Columbus. Uh, did, does that surprise you a little bit that there's not been any pushback from the NIMBYs uh, that populate every city on Earth, um, or just the political uh, political organizations who are just against you know public contributions? Well, I, I think it helps when this when the city says they're going to donate a little bit of their funds in general, and it, it doesn't sound like right now there's going to be any additional kind of taxes. I think they will generate some revenue for the. Know, 645 million, whatever the total is for the ownership purchase, the stadium, the um, redevelopment of Moffrey Stadium site, 
for the indoor training facility and the practice fields and the community sports park. There's still a lot of pieces, obviously, but um, any additional taxes, I think it's going to come around, you know, the, the areas that they're building with the stadium because they want to make it a part of a, a community. They're going to have the, what's the kind of title now for mixed-use yeah, space that yeah. people like to use with apartments and, and pubs, and uh, they definitely want to make it you know, one of the premier sites in MLS, but um, there, there are still a few snags they have to do, and it's really, I think people have to realize, and people I've talked to, it's, look, the, the ink wasn't dry until December, and then, I mean, even up until the transfer window here, I don't think they could have really made a move because recently the lawsuit was what I can't I don't know the term um, exactly but I think it's with prejudice oh yes. it's like yeah everything is totally done so yeah. that was only a few days before the close of the first transfer window so in terms of trying to do things they were pretty handicapped for you know when they came in in January the front office there wasn't a ton that they could get ready for the season already and then they still have you know another four or five months couldn't do a ton. But specifically with the Montfrey Stadium site, to your question, um, they still do have to get like the lease of the land there because it's owned by the fairgrounds, the parking lots there, and they make a lot of money, the city does, for the revenue of this event called the Quarter Horse Congress, so they need like a way to kind of find parking for that and whatnot. Um, but like I said, I, I think any arguments in public are just the people that are upset about this are like, hey, don't forget about us, we still need to get this deal done. When, you know, they came in in January, December, they didn't have a ton of time. They had to get their ducks in a row just yeah. so the season in March. Yeah, yeah. And that was, uh, I was surprised at the speed at which they got the uh, things done up in Columbus. It was pretty unprecedented. Uh, you know, even Austin, it, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of you know, political wranglings, but every, they seem to jump over every hurdle, Chris, um, at this point, And it doesn't look like, um, at this point, I don't really see anything stopping stopping it. I know there's a, a vote in, in November, but it's not even clear that vote will have any impact on the construction of the stadium, even if it were to were to pass. Right, exactly. It's still uh, you know a very vocal minority that tends to to really voice its opinions on on a, a number of different issues, and uh, kind of governed by petition is is definitely a popular term uh in austin when it comes to city council and things like that so uh you know they just had a another uh another they just had another protest uh the other day out at uh you know across from uh, they just had another protest the other day out across from st david's kind of protesting the sponsorship there um but it's the same same group of people that's been there since the beginning and they're they're fighting tooth and nail against it, but right now it just seems like the momentum is completely, uh, you know, against them, and it, and everything seems to be moving forward in, in a positive direction, at least as, as far as soccer is concerned. Yeah, yeah, I, I I just don't see any any stopping the stadium uh, again, even if they were successful with the with the vote. It, it it's not clear that it's going to affect this specific development. And it looks, and it's my understanding they're going to start uh, construction and uh, land clearing, land and all that good stuff uh, towards the end of summer. Is that right? Yeah, late summer, late summer, early fall, uh, sort of around that uh, late August, September first uh, timeline. So yeah, it's the same for you up there, right, Jacob? 
Yeah, and, and I think there's still some signatures to be had on, you know, acquiring the land. I mean, it's all, like, agreed to in principle, but in terms of actually getting it, I still think they have to do that. But they are aiming kind of that same window in summer, early fall. Yeah, and so that, that means that both, again, both cities will likely have stadiums opening in 2021. And I'm, you know, I would bet dollars to donuts that uh, the first game at one of the stadiums is going to involve uh, the other team. Uh, I just, I can't see any way around that. I'm sure that's some of the chatter that's going on down there, just kind of idle speculation on who the first opponent's going to be. Yeah, we kind of brought that up when uh, we we had a chance to interview Don Garber uh, and, uh, you know, some of the league brass uh, there in January, and it kind of brought that idea up to him. And, of course, he chuckled and said, oh, I didn't even thought of that. But, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, you know that they've kind of got that uh, in their back pocket, uh, you know, for twenty twenty one. So, yeah, it, it just makes for too good of a storyline, Jacob. I mean, it just, it, I can't see him doing anything else. Yeah, and and you know, I kind of when I talked to Tim Bezmachenko last week, it was interesting. I had asked about the stadium and his perfect twenty twenty one vision, and he just kind of brought up nonchalantly, he's like, "No, there's no way I'll be ready for the beginning of the year." But I mean, and you think of the timeline, like if they're breaking ground. Early fall, late summer at the say like late July at the earliest. Getting ready for twenty twenty one is just kind of unfathomable. Um, if the, if it does take them till twenty twenty two, which I have no indication it will, but if they're trying to get it right, I think they're going to do that. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting if it if it took a little longer. But again, they've got a they've got a stadium that they can play in right now. Um, you know, as as flawed as it may be in some respects. Uh, but it's it's certainly serviceable uh, until they get it right, and you know I don't I don't know if the crew are going to love being on the road for 13 games. Uh, uh, it doesn't seem to uh, you know most most fans don't like it, and I'm sure the players don't either. So, uh, but we'll see. So I wanted to to move uh, and chat a little bit about uh, you know kind of closing the uh, the drama as it were, and so let's talk a little bit about Anthony Precorp. Um, who now owns uh, the rights to operate Austin FC. Uh, you know, that's using the MLS technical terms. There are no owners of teams. There's just investor operators. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, he's a, he's a complicated figure, I would say, uh, at this point, and his legacy in uh, MLS going forward is, is, is certainly going to be. Uh, you know, he came into the league in 2013. And, and Jacob, I'll start with you, uh, even though you weren't uh, you know, covering the team back then. I'm sure you've had enough discussions to, to have a good opinion on this, but uh, did, was he ever a good fit for Columbus um, in that he was from Sacramento, California area, kind of came in, um, did some nice things as far as hiring uh, Greg Berhalter, a solid manager, uh, and, so, and the team was uh, pretty successful on the field uh, during his time here, but there were some off-the-field issues that never seemed to – he never seemed to be a good fit as an owner uh, uh, in Columbus. Yeah, I think, you know, from the onset, whenever you get a new owner, and it's if you're a supporter of the club, it's tricky. You're, you're nervous, excited, a lot of different emotions. I think there was a reason to be excited, and, I, and from all indication, people I talked to, um, Precourt seemed genuinely excited to take this team and take the challenge. However, then you learned that he had this clause in there that, oh, if I'm going to move the team, it's going to be in Austin, and I don't know if I can succeed in Columbus. It 
it started to wane on people, and they looked around the stadium, like doors hanging off a restroom bolt, like just literally on its side, the stadium not just being up cap. I mean, the press box is leaking. They only just fixed that this year. Um, so there are a lot of different things. As simple as I know people I've talked to at the tailgate, like the uh, porta potties out there being filled up in early year. Um, they see what, what went wrong with the past ownership and try to make up for it. But pre-court in general, uh, I think you always need wherever you are, you want a local operator. Uh, and, and, you know, he wasn't, he was around for, what was it, three, five games and whatever, how many years? I can't remember the exact total, but the Haslam's mm. have already been around for more. Um, so as far as seeing a commitment, that just was never there. And the more that's noticed, the more he's going to seem like not the right fit. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the, the Austin clause, which obviously none of us knew about at the time he took over the team, uh, and it was, was kind of casually dropped by Don Garber at, at one point, and which, you know, right. I, I, if, if he had it to do over again, I'm sure he never would have mentioned that whatsoever. But uh, Chris, it was just one of those things that he, uh, you know, once that became public, and then you had also Don talking about how he liked Austin as far back as 2015, then you start, you know, you put those those breadcrumbs together, and then you come to a conclusion that yeah, he maybe he never wanted, he always wanted to be in Austin. Um, whether or not that was the case is isn't you know something we may never know. But it just it just again seemed like he was never a good fit for for Columbus. Yeah, the thing that that does stand out is that uh, you know from the beginning of the whole saga, we really didn't hear a whole lot from Anthony Precourt yeah. himself. Uh, very few public interactions when he first got here. Uh, we did get a chance to, to talk to him. Uh, and then I think again in like March of 2018. And, uh, you know, so the, for better or worse, the, the PSV side of the, the whole end in Columbus hasn't really been completely told. And, and, and so you're kind of left to kind of put the pieces together. Um, but, you know, there's two sides of that coin. I, I do think that they obviously could have done better as an ownership group to, to make that organization successful. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, their success of, of an ownership as an ownership group is still going, or as an Anthony Precourt's success as a, as a uh, investor and operator is still going to be tested uh, in this next phase in, in Austin. And I think that's going to be the true tell on, um, you know, whether or not they, they can succeed or not. There were always dynamics in Columbus, uh, and I'm sure Jacob uh, could expound more on it. There are always dynamics in Columbus that, that made things difficult for whoever was going to own the crew, um, especially playing at Montfrey Stadium. So, uh, you know, to, to say whether whether Precourt really truly intended to move the team or whether it just didn't quite work out for him to be a, success, a successful owner there, um, you know, there's only a very limited number of people, those being some of the, the, the powerful figures in Columbus, such as Alex Fisher, and then, uh, you know, Anthony himself could, is really the only one who could who could probably uh, tell you the full story there. Yeah, Chris, Chris I think you're right in the, in the terms of not fully knowing what Precourt's intentions were when that Austin Claus kind of went in. What Garber said is that he wanted another option for going to a market if Columbus didn't work, and Certainly, you know, um, I think Columbus is just a completely different market than San Francisco or something like that. So, and, and the attendance has been an issue, but I think what fans would say here might be 
you know, if someone's committed to it, they can boost the attendance. A new stadium is a big help for yeah. sure. Um, but in, in terms of knowing full intentions and maybe some things that they really did try but weren't public and, and they didn't work out, you know, that I, that side certainly hasn't been told. You're right. Yeah, and and yeah, and to in you know, not to defend uh, Precord, but at least to explain some of the things that were going on before then, before he even took over the team, the relationship, uh, and Jacob, I'm sure you can talk to this, the relationship between the business community and MLS and the crew generally uh, was, was terrible uh, before he even purchased the team. Um, you know, I think it leads back to like the early 2000s, I think some stuff with the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, where they, uh, where I think uh, the Hunts were trying to purchase a team or something along those lines, and just completely soured the business community on uh, on on the crew for one reason or another, and it just made it difficult, uh, you know, for an ownership group uh, to to engage them. Uh, again, some of that has to do with you know how MLS uh, probably was was engaging them, um, and so you know hopefully uh, you know for the crew with the new ownership group in place that shouldn't be a problem really at all going forward. Yeah, there's long been dismay for the league from the supporters, and it certainly hasn't gone away, and it's definitely been kind of like, you know, they see Garber as standing over the fire and kind of fanning the flames. But, you know, if there's one positive about it, it's this, you know, Columbus has seen the type of support that this club has and the wealthy side of it, the businesses with the money to keep it here, have fully been brought on board as well. Yeah, and that's ob- that's really good news uh, to to hear. And yeah, you have to think that the stadium plus the surrounding development is going to have a, a massive impact on um, on the crew. And they should hopefully be able to get a kind of a sporting KC type renaissance, uh, especially when when that gets built um, because the location is very nice. I, when I was out there in September, uh, September, uh, I was able to at least go through there and see. It was just you could just tell it was just. Such a superior location to Matt Free that it's it, it's it, it's tough to describe it really uh, the differences. Yeah, and, and Dr. Pete Edwards has been out to uh, Sporting KC's kind of facilities in Minnesota, I believe, as well. So yeah, I mean, they're looking at all these sites to give it a bit of a reboot. Yeah, and Chris, so uh, just to finish up on on Anthony, uh, uh, what uh, what would you say? It looks like he's doing everything right down there, uh, trying to engage. I, I, you know, I think I think I've read him described as you know not a recluse, but a bit of an introvert. So he's not going to be necessarily the outgoing or owner like Merrick Paulson um, or some of those some of those types. But uh, how would you describe his interactions down there and and the fans' receptions uh, to him? Well, I think he's the he's got the um, advantage of being the first professional sport. He's bringing the first major major league team to Austin and. You've seen how that's resonated with, uh, you know, the announcement of more than thirty thousand, uh, you know, seats, uh, you know, deposit more than thirty thousand uh, ticket deposits. Uh, kind of shows you, kind of what this market this market is hungry for a team other than the, than the Longhorns. It's, uh, you know, so he's got that advantage of being first. Being first, exactly. He's the he's the man behind the first professional sports organization in town, and they can't really win or lose games yet. So, <laughs> at least until twenty twenty one, there's there's not a whole lot to be upset about as long as uh, they continue on the path that they're on of, of getting sponsors and 
Uh, they've got a, a beautiful stadium lined up, and as long as things remain on track, I, I don't. I, I think that uh, he's kind of got a bit of a ramp there uh, that people won't really be able to make judge, judgments um, as far as things in Austin until uh, until there's an actual team on the field. Yeah, so. and, and again, that just goes to show why it would have been such a terrible idea to try to shoehorn them in uh, earlier than 2021, um, especially as you see, you know, Cincinnati uh, has got a very nice fan base, but they really struggled on the field. Minnesota really struggled on the field, and those were the, probably the mo- two most recent ones that had a very short run-up to join the league. It's just, you know, it's something that rarely works, and you know, again, when I talked to MLS about it, they were they were basically like, this is, this is the best for everyone that they don't try to try to start me later or earlier excuse me so yeah let me talk a little bit about uh you know as you speak about the stadium being constructed i, I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about leslie pool uh who was who has undergone quite a transformation uh, since uh this was announced uh she was adamantly against well i guess I, I don't know if i would characterize it as adamantly against the stadium or the team coming in she was i think she was adamantly against the way that this was happening how would you how would you describe her her initial opposition and then her transformation into, if not vocal cheerleader, uh, at least a, a supporter? Yeah, I mean Leslie Poole, uh, you know, from the outset was uh, she was among the group on the council that was, uh, you know, there was an opposition uh, to putting the stadium on Parkland, which. Uh, you know, for anybody that knows Austin, and uh, you know, I think Precourt Sports Ventures could have done a little better research on, uh, you know, whether that was going to play or not. Uh, and so, once that happened, she was actually among the group that uh, suggested that they look up at McCallum Place, uh, a site that was in her district. Uh, you know, former, um, you know, chemical waste site that had multiple explosions. <laughs> Uh, happen on it, uh, and MLS seems uh, to love but, those Miami, a, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a site nonetheless that uh, has been sitting vacant, vacant for twenty five years, and has been really, uh, you know, something that the city has has been trying to figure out what to do with. And so, but then once it got further down the line, it looked like it was, uh, you know, going to be viable. There was a uh, you know vocal op- opposition from some people within her district that she kind of, um, you know, became sort of a voice for them to, um, you know, say, hey, wait a minute, Uh, you know, how are we going to be, um, you know, how are we going to be compensated for this? Is this fair for there to be no property property taxes paid for on this land, which uh, there's not, there's going to be rent, I think, eight and a half million in rent over uh, 20, 25 years, if I, if I correct recall correctly off the top of my head um and you know but she kept kind of moving the the goal line so to speak uh you know as things went okay we got this what about this we got this what about this and uh really really kind of frustrated uh the supporters of uh of stalker in austin but i think at the end of the day what you saw was she was a uh, you know for better or worse she was part of a group on council that did help push for a better deal in the end. And, and that's kind of what she's been saying recently is, uh, you know, if this is going to happen, I want it to succeed. Um, and, and, you know, 
whether or not she tries to tra- take credit credit for it in the end is a, is another matter. And uh, you know, if that, she is that a politician. Then, then things uh, things are gonna have to be corrected a little bit. But uh, right now, she seems to be at least. Um, She's not fully positive on the whole thing, but she's at least not standing in the way, I would say, at this point. Yeah, as I said, when I talked to her, uh, she essentially said she's not there yet, but she is. I think she's happy that she pushed as much as she did um, because, as you said, it helped to get the best deal that's possible. And she is an elected official who's to look out for the interests of the constituents. So in that respect... And it's you, an election year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so in that respect, oh, you can't... Uh, you can't really fault her for uh, uh, for what she did, even though it certainly caused a lot of heartburn uh, to Austin uh, FC supporters. And then Jacob, you talked a little bit about uh, you know her uh, her interactions with with crew fans, and you know that'll kind of segue us into the the Save the Crew uh, movement and and how instrumental they were in keeping the crew there. So just uh, generally, uh, your your thoughts on on, on Leslie's uh, you know uh, role in this saga, and then also just uh, kind of on uh, Save the Crew generally. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know too much about her role in particular. Um, generally, though, I, I will say that not only have they remained a vocal part still of this organization and the future of it, I think they're kind of driving an idea of where the supporters believe this organization could go because, you know, for the stadium they've had these focus groups to kind of analyze, you know, what do they want in season ticket packages? Uh, I, I believe there was something to do as well with um, when Precor was the owner, there were some surveys sent out as well as what they wanted with their, with a new stadium potentially. Um, that, that's something I've been told a little bit in the past, but you know, actually they're getting a new stadium this time, but yeah, they have focus groups. I think they're really driving, They've done a good job of just kind of staying vocal, which is important if if people are going to, you know, skeptics are still exist of why this team is still in this market. There's no doubt about that. And for those skeptics to kind of be proven wrong, for lack of a better term, in the eyes of the Save the Crew people, uh, they they need to stay vocal and, and kind of prove, like, when the stadium opens, yeah, this is what we thought all along this could be, and we finally got people to believe in us. So um, I, I think it's been really positive for them, and, and they've done a lot of different community efforts as well, which is which is positive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough on the – as we talk kind of about the aftermath of, of this whole saga from both sides, there is, you know, obviously no doubt that there's been some struggles to get uh, attendance of people back into Matt Free for one reason or another. And, you know, again, to some degree, it, it's hard to fault, uh, you know, fans who decided to walk away uh, because of what they perceived was a concerted effort to, to move the team, uh, not only before the announcement, but after. Uh, and it's going to take a lot to bring some of those fans back. Some of them may never come back. Uh, and that's not through any fault necessarily of the new ownership group. Uh, it's just that uh, for some people, uh, it's a bridge too far, and it's hard to fault those people for not saying, I'm not coming back to this product. It's probably not even necessarily about the crew. It's probably more about MLS generally um, and their role in this action, however you, you think they came out of it at the end. Yeah, I think there's a segment of the population that sees 
MLS and the crew almost even with the AAA baseball team here and doesn't equate them to a professional league. Um, and for, you know, kind of a little inkling of what this new ownership group and front office is trying to do, they've been very vocal in trying to create a partnership with Ohio State University, which is here and not far at all from either stadium site. So, um, and they're looking to tap into those uh, populations now. And actually, I'll ask you, uh, Chris, about that um, as well. Uh, what is a PSV doing uh, to try to work with uh, the University of Texas, which is obviously, uh, you know, Austin and Columbus have some similarities and uh, massive uh, universities uh, who uh, were the, essentially the only game in town previously. Uh, that's one of them. So I'm curious uh, how, how uh, PSV is working with uh, UT, if at all. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an important partnership for any, uh, I would say, any major corporation or any entity who wants to come in and, and uh, you know, own their, their specific market uh, in Austin would be to, to, you know, work together with UT on different things. And so one thing so far has been internship programs, and there's actually a member of the front office, um, you know, Chris Quinn, who's in sponsorships, has, has been uh, teaching classes over there, actually, and, and kind of building a, a little bit of an internship program through through that uh, and so they're kind of working together on that front uh, as far as major partnerships um, you know time will tell on that the stadium's not particularly close to um, UT's campus although it isn't super far it's you know probably 15 to 20 minutes depending on traffic and so you could potentially bus I suppose students up there uh, for matches if you if you wanted to, to do that um, but I think as far as, you know, major partnerships, um, nothing, nothing too, too huge so far, but the internships and, and, you know, having a professor on campus does kind of help with those relationships a little bit. Cool. All right. So I think to close up, uh, we'll uh, kind of focus on uh, things going forward. Um, and one question, we kind of uh, alluded to this in the, uh, what team will each, each city open up with, with their new stadium. Uh, there was obviously uh, a, a major, uh, you know, a, a lot of disputes online, uh, a, a lots of arguments and fights uh, between the fan bases, especially when uh, it looked like the crew may be moving. Uh, I remember one thing was uh, when they went to a crew Dallas game, I think, and some of the uh, Austin yeah, fans kind of went to yeah, the quote-unquote scout. Uh, so I'm just curious... Uh, what, what do you remember about, you know, some of that stuff online? It got fairly nasty at some point. And uh, with both teams now having their respective teams and respective stadiums opening, do you, do you think there's going to be much of a rivalry, or do you think fans will forget about it by the time the stadium's open, since we still got about two years? Uh, well, what do you see, uh, I'll start with you, Chris, uh, what do you see happening, uh, you know, as far as that's concerned, if anything? Yeah, I think that there's always going to be uh, groups on both sides that are entrenched fans, and um, you know they're fans, so they're passionate. And uh, as far as the Columbus side goes, they they were fighting for something that they, they really cared about. And they've had for for 20 years for Austin fans that you know there's there's a you know portion of the population in town that that really really wanted professional sports here, and uh, you know yeah those arguments kind of devolved into the same kind of talking points over and over again for almost a year and a half and going on, I mean, they continued through today. You know, still see people kind of popping up in my, in my mentions that, that want to talk about, uh, you know, attendance and things like that. So, uh, 
you know, for those people, I think it's going to be a really fun rivalry. How many people that is total, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that kind of dies down over, over the years. But I think that any team wants to have a rival, and having that history there is only going to make, uh, you know, I think in the long run it'll kind of make MLS stronger. Every team's got a kind of a story. The, the crew's obviously, you know, forever going to have that, uh, you know, that save the crew aspect attached to, to what it's going to be moving forward. And Austin FC, um, to a portion of the MLS fan base, will always be the team that they kind of sprung from Anthony Precourt uh, trying to move the crew there. And so uh, I think there's always going to be that element. And, and hopefully it turns into some some good good matches on the field and uh, maybe some bad, bad blood between the fans a little bit that, that uh, MLS could use a little bit more of. I'm sure you guys agree with that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be this thing hanging over both Austin FC and and the crew when they play each other. Uh, Cincinnati here, I think, will be just more of a rivalry in general, but definitely there's going to be animosity in this. And I don't know how much you two are aware of this, but when the crew was, you know, word came out that Precourt Sports Ventures was looking to move the crew, I believe that was the time that uh, the supporter section built a TIFO that said mm. had something to do with our roots started here. Mm-hmm. And then now the Austin crashed in the tree. So, I, I, I mean, just to the animosity level between the two fan bases, it's those little things that I think could make a really kind of special rivalry, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, what happens going forward. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to seeing some more stadium renderings uh, because I, I, both stadiums look fantastic uh, on paper at this point. And so I'll definitely be uh, looking looking to see both of them. So I think that's yeah, a good. I mean, for for me, I'm just looking forward looking forward to looking down a roster and, and uh, actually talking tactics and soccer a little bit. Uh, I get that a little bit with the USL team here, but uh, you guys, I'm a little jealous that you guys are following Mickey. You get the Sounders and, and uh, Jacob, the, the crew, actually getting to watch some soccer some MLS uh, week in and week out. Tam and Gam isn't so fun to understand. Yeah. It's not <laughs> <laughs> At least you're going to miss the last, uh, this next CBA. At least it'll hopefully be settled. Uh, or maybe not. And maybe they'll have been on strike for the next uh, uh, two years, in which case uh, we're going to have some bigger problems to talk about <laughs> than uh, crew uh, Austin rivalry. So I think that's a good place to end it. I want to thank uh, Jacob and Chris for joining me. Uh, why don't you guys plug where you're at and Twitters and all that good stuff. Uh, Jacob. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Jacob underscore Myers underscore two five and read my stuff at dispatch.com. Yeah, find me at, uh, at Chris Bills. That's uh, Bills with one L and uh, read my stuff on statesman.com and then also uh, be launching a, a podcast uh, starting next week uh, with a couple other people in town. Michelle Sanchez with uh, CBS and Telemundo and uh, Luis De Leon with uh, with KVU, so it's going to be called Austin Soccer Pod, and uh, first interview is actually with Anthony Precourt, so oh. I'll talk to him today. All right, well, uh, oh, so you uh, you say the best for last. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we yeah, before we uh, check out, uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how how it went. Oh, it was uh, it was a good interview. It was mostly kind of focused on Austin, and we did I did kind of throw him a one kind of Columbus question about uh, you know when we you know if he'll ever kind of address some of those concerns that the fans have. And, uh, so listen, listen for that to, to hear what he said about that. But we talked a little bit about, uh, Chicharito. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the, you know, talk a little soccer with him, talked a little bit about, uh, his relationship with Greg Berhalter. Those two are still 
remain close. And uh, then, you know, obviously talked about uh, the exciting uh, growth that they've seen since they started with the, the season ticket deposits being the biggest news kind of surrounding the day. So um, look for look for that interview to, to pop up sometime next week. Fantastic. I will absolutely be looking for that, and we'll make sure to, uh, to pub that out there. So, again, thanks uh, to Jacob and Chris for joining us, and uh, hope you've enjoyed this interview.